Six, uh, 7.48 on the Crosstalk on WIZM. So much to talk with uh, our guest, Megan Meller, uh, from Infection Control at Anderson. Uh, good morning, and thanks very much uh, for talking with us this morning. How are you? How are your family and people around you in the department? How are you guys doing? You know, we're all doing pretty good, and I'm, I have so much to be grateful for. I was just talking to a friend last night who was previously out in New York City, and I was like, you know, I'm so glad you're back in Wisconsin. Yeah, no question. Uh, uh, is Wisconsin one of the states we, we see numbers growing uh, uh, quickly, so we may not be in the same uh, boat as Montana or Idaho, but we're also not in the same boat as New Orleans or uh, Louisiana or New York. Do you expect it to stay that way in Wisconsin? You know, I think at this point, you know, I'm prepared to, you know, expect the unexpected. That said, you know, we, yes, we are seeing a lot of increase in cases, but we're also seeing an increase in testing, and that, you know, and so that's, that's, that's a good thing. So, you know, if it means we're able to catch, the, you know, the disease course like in the beginning, we can start isolating people right away and be more proactive against the spread of disease. And so, you know, I always, you know, take that rise in, in cases with a grain of salt. So definitely I'm watching the number of fatalities, you know, countrywide and seeing how that's rising. But in terms of overall testing, that other countries have done this, like South Korea and Germany, where they just really ramped up their testing. So, And you see a lower fatality rate in those countries because they were more proactive against the virus. And I wonder, too, do you know, are, are those countries that are talking about uh, tens of thousands of tests, are they simply testing everyone and counting that as a person who was tested? I mean, they're, they're going to test you and they're going to test me and count that as two people tested who clearly don't have COVID-19. But we, we become a statistic and others in America are pointing to other countries saying, why can't we do it like they do? Right. And so I think what a lot of these countries are doing is they're testing people who are symptomatic, but also who don't have symptoms, because we know that if you don't have symptoms, you can still be infected and you can still be contagious. Um, you know, at this point, I don't think the U.S. has a capacity to test asymptomatic people, but that is definitely the goal in the near future. And so thankfully, even at Gunderson, what, what we've been seeing over the past couple of days is we're expanding our testing criteria. So we're able to test many more people and know what's going on in the community. So I hope, you know, in you know, in the close future, we're able to, we have the capacity to, to test everybody. But right now, we're kind of, you know, we're still limited as to who we can test. So, you know, we have a ways to go, but we're still in a, in, we're in a really good shape right now. Are you, okay, this kind of answered yeah. my next question. You are able to test those people who should be tested. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, we're, we are okay. looking after our healthcare workers, you know, those who are, you know, if you're symptomatic and you you know come in, you know you can get tested, and so you know we're able to really expand on who we can test and who we can you know and who public health can reach out to and make sure that again we you know we're quarantining and we're we're doing all the steps we need to take to again hinder the spread of this virus. I know early on you were turning people away who simply wanted to be tested. They wake up, hear about COVID-19, have a runny nose, and are concerned, uh, have the, the number of people who demand or who really, really want to be tested, has that number decreased at all in the last uh, you know week or two? You know, I can't really speak to that. I'm not, I'm not given those statistics, but I, I do know from, you know, every day we're updating our testing criteria and we're making it more comprehensive, you know, so we're able... We, and I know from our driving clinic that 
are that they're seeing more patients each day, and so I think I think that's a good thing because it means people, you know, if they if they have that fever, they have those short respiratory symptoms, that they know that they can come in and they have it and they can get tested relatively fast. Megan, how can we help those people who've uh, and I've spoken with a number of them this morning even who would like to see. Uh, those vulnerable individuals, if you are uh, elderly and you are, uh, you have other health risks, you should be quarantined. And the rest of us that are young and healthy, have no symptoms, should be allowed to continue on with uh, some semblance of normal life and not quarantine the entire world. Uh, what do you tell those people? So what we're seeing right now in the U.S. is about, I run an estimate that about 40% of hospitalizations due to COVID-19 are in those under the age of 60. And, that, you know, and we're hearing about, you know, teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds who are getting hospitalized and sometimes placed on ventilators due to this virus, and they have no underlying health conditions. And so taking that why. data... Yeah, it's it's good evidence to say we're all at some sort of risk to this virus. We don't know what you know what card we're going to draw, and the fastest way for us, for all of us, to return back to some semblance of normalcy is to kind of hunker down for the next you know couple of weeks. Because then again, you know we, we're able to get a hold of this. We're able to stop the spread. Right. We're all and, at well, risk. well, and. It- Pretty exactly. There you go. I was about to say that. Kind of hard to say. All right. Everybody that's under 65, you can go back to work. If you're over 65, you have to stay home. Cut and dry. That's period. Men and women. uh, That's it. Uh, Kind of hard to call that. It is very hard to call that, you know, and you know, you have so much data, but at the end of the day, we're all at some risk, whether it's to ourselves or to exposing someone else that we come in contact with. And knowing how many contacts each each one of us has throughout the day, it is better just to limit that for everybody and, again, to try to really fight this virus and keep it from spreading. Let me ask uh, just two other. I want to ask you about prote- your your uh, uh, needs at the hospital, if you got all the protective equipment. But talk to me for a minute about community spread. Uh, individuals, uh, uh, one individual who, for some reason, uh, fighting cancer, but then thought it would be a good idea to go to Mardi Gras, and and so he's uh, already got uh, a, a compromised immune system. Then goes to Mardi Gras with tens of thousands of other people, and lo and behold, no big surprise, contracts COVID nineteen. There, there's a community spread uh, uh, individual. Are they? scarier or you know a community spread does that change the concern a new concern or a heightened concern because now it's not just people who travel you know it definitely does but with a respiratory illness it's not that much of a it's not a surprise that we're getting to that point i mean essentially what community spread means is you've acquired the virus but you don't know from whom so you you might have you know you don't you didn't have to travel or you didn't have the close contacts but you you encountered the virus somewhere along, you know, throughout your day, and now you're infected. And then that's where, you know, I re- we, if we can emphasize, you know, c- cover your sneeze, cover your cough, because that's going to contain the droplets. We know this is spread through droplets. That's really going to, pre- you know, protect the virus from spreading. Washing your hands, you know, as frequently as you can, because again, and then also avoiding touching your face, because that's another way that the virus can, um, you can get infected, is by touching a contaminated surface. Because we know this virus can live on, sur- on different surfaces, you know, for an extended period of time. And... You know, you can touch something without even realizing it's contaminated because, again, you, know, you can't see viruses. And if you touch your face, 
you just exposed yourself. And so there's different ways you can get exposed through community spread. And that's why, again, social distancing is, has never been more important in addition to really good um, hand hygiene and respiratory hygiene. All right. I don't want to run out of time here before we get to uh, any needs that you have. I got a note from uh, Dan Trussoni at the city with a list of items uh, because people have been calling and saying, do you need anything? Can we uh, donate uh, to your needs uh, at Gunderson? We hear nationwide about the protective equipment that's running low, the suits, the gloves, the masks, the ventilators. Uh, do you have all the protective equipment that you and, and the staff need at the hospital to stay safe and uh, continue to fight COVID-19? Yeah, so at the moment we have very we have a really good adequate supply of PPE, but Again, kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, you have to prepare. You have to expect the unexpected. And so that's yeah. why, you know, we're asking for, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're accepting, um, you know, financial contributions. We're accepting you know, some monetary donations. We're accepting PPE supplies, you know, whatever people might have as donations. And sure. so some of the things would be like um, digital thermometers, alcohol gel, gloves, um, um, masks, Anything that someone might have, um, I encourage them to reach out to our medical, our Gunderson Medical Foundation, because they're going to be the ones that are gonna, are going to handle the influx. Again, you know, this is just an, an abundance of precaution to make sure that, you know, if we do have a surge capacity event in the future, that we have enough supplies on hand to safely care for our community members while also keeping ourselves safe. All right, one more question, then we we got to go. I got an email yesterday from someone who said, I keep seeing film from from uh, China, everyone's wearing a mask, and yet we're told that wearing a mask to go to the grocery store or wherever is not helpful. Uh, explain that. Can you help me explain that? I think one, it's a big, it comes down to culture. We also know that the mask won't necessarily prevent you from getting sick, and so you know, what you might see is if you come into healthcare, more people wearing masks, and it's because they're coming into contact with a bunch of different people, and they have to do this out of an abundance of precaution to keep themselves safe. But for those out in the community, it's, you know, if anything, what it's going to do, it's going to, it's going to help you not touch your face. But what I always want to caution people when they use gloves and masks in the public is you can't use it as a safety crutch. You still have to be aware of what you're touching and what you're coming into contact with. At the very least, as soon as you stop being out in public, take that uh, those gloves off, take that mask off, and throw them away. And wash is, your hands. Uh, what those, and then go wash your hands. Right. That's still the best way to not contract COVID-19 or spread it. Wash your hands. Soap and water. Do it all the time. Try not to touch those uh, community things, hand uh, stair rails and so forth, uh, the handlebar at the grocery store on your on your cart and of course not touching your face because